In addition to providing counseling, support, and resources to the formerly incarcerated, the Second Chance Center in Aurora also works on criminal justice system reform and advocacy. Their roles in this arena is to reverse the negative impacts and misperceptions regarding incarceration within our communities. Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. As a partner with the Colorado Criminal Justice Reform Coalition, the Second Chance Center has assisted to effect change in some key areas of the system. Among these are changes for persons receiving long sentences for crimes committed as juveniles, Changes to allow those serving life sentences for capital offenses committed as a juvenile to apply for parole consideration after 20 years. And a law to authorize use of a portion of re-entry budgets to go to community-based organizations to implement the program wages, the Work and Gain Education and Employment Skills Program. This advocacy and criminal justice system reform are essential aspects of the Second Chance Center's work, which is led by its founder and executive director, Mr. Hassan Latif. When you speak about systems and, and systemic inequalities, uh, you know, we, we, we have to be honest when we look at how our criminal legal system is set up, Adam. I mean, anybody that thinks the same corporations that own private prisons, halfway houses, the UA, UA uh, companies and, and monitoring agencies that they're the formula for people successfully reintegrating the community. That's like expecting a drug dealer to run a rehab program. I mean, these entities are profitable only if people struggle and or fail. Okay. Right. The opposite is true for community-based organizations like ours. If our people aren't successful, we don't survive. So our approach is, 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 is quite different than Core Civic or GEO Group or anybody else that makes their fortunes off of uh, the, 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 the torment and the, the, the disadvantage and the difficulty of other folks, okay? Yeah. So we're, we're not the same. And the kind of things that people are required to do and the hoops that they're required to jump through uh, sometimes are – are more than just extra. Sometimes they're designed, believe this, they're designed to make it more difficult for people to successfully transition back into lives out here in the community. So they can go back to prison then? Sure. Because that's all they know and they're comfortable with. Well, you know, it just gets so frustrating. So at some point, you, you know, you throw your hands up. You know, and, and it's just like I'm done, you know, and I'm, I'm leaving the halfway house or I'm not reporting to my parole officer anymore. It's like you already have committed to going back at some point. This whole thing about never going back in, in prison, you know, your coach never to say something like that, like that would doom you to coming back. You know, we believe you got to you got to draw that line in the sand and stand on that with everything you have to make it so, you know, so. What we want to do with our work is is show people that there are options that maybe you didn't consider before and that there are ways to deal with the frustration and the disappointment and the aggravation, you know, uh, that maybe you haven't considered. But we certainly have. And half of my staff here are formerly incarcerated folks. So we, we've got about 250 cumulative years on staff. So 
that means two things. One, nobody can come into Second Chance Center and tell us anything about doing time. We know all about that. We're not looking to sit around and chop up war stories. We're not trying to do any of that. Sure. It also means that we have found a way to negotiate and navigate uh, this terrain out here in the free world, and we can help you do that if you're willing to commit to yourself and put in the work. This is what we're saying. You know, we're not looking to race somebody up and enable them as opposed to uh, supporting their own efficacy. You yeah. know, th- th- that's, that's not what we do. I like the balance that you have with formerly incarcerated people being half the staff and uh, people from the community being the other, you know, half because it says we know where you've been and this is where you can go. Was that by design or something that you learned along the way which helped you? Well, I, I started out by, by thinking uh, those who know best what we need are those who've had those needs, you know. So when I when I was first able to get some significant funding, I hired two people. The first was Sean Ashi Taylor, who's our deputy executive director. He caught a life sentence at 17 and had done 22 years in Colorado prisons until uh, Governor Ritter commuted his sentence 11 years ago. The second gentleman was Adam Abdullah, who had done 33 years and three months in the Fed system. You know, so yeah. collective felt like we had enough experience to know basically uh, what people had experienced inside. And we also were out here navigating this terrain in current time, you know, in real time. Since then, the people that we've added that haven't had that kind of a background are people who uh, get it because they've experienced substance use issues or mental health issues in their families or in their own personal lives. This is one thing that it's the common thread, brother, and I'm going to tell you, uh, it's the one thing that has enabled us to open up communications with parts of our community that we could never speak to before because they always saw us as the other. Yeah. You know, but when, but I've never met one person in the 15 and a half years I've been back in this world that didn't have someone in their family that was impacted by a mental health issue, substance use disorder issue, uh, trauma of some sort, whether or not it, in, it involved incarceration. These are the common threads that connect every single family in America, okay? And, and, and if people think about it, it won't be too hard for them to find someone in their family who struggle with these things. The difference is that in some families and in some communities, and let's just be frank about it, uh, in in some races, the likelihood that you have ways of dealing with those issues without uh, being uh, swallowed up by the the criminal justice system, that's evident. You know, some people can get lawyers. Some people go to prison, Adam, simply because they were too poor to make a small bond and get out and help defend themselves and stay in county jail so long and so frustrated and so terrified about the outcomes that they wind up taking a plea and going to prison to try to get it over with. Okay, so a lot of people are in prison because of of the fact that that poverty has been their lot. Poverty Um, has been the problem. It's one of them for sure. Yeah. You know, and, and you could check the data. 85% of the folks at least that are incarcerated have these kinds of issues, mental health issues or substance use disorder issues. These, these are not criminal. These are not criminal complaints. <laughs> these, are, these are health issues. 
when we say that successful transition is a matter of community health, that's just not a cliche phrase for us. It's it's the truth, you know. And, and if any part of the community is ailing, and this might sound kind of Pollyannish with some hallmark kind of thing, but it's a fact. If any part of the community is ailing, then the entire community is going to be infect, affected by that. Yes, it and will. so yeah, and sharing that sharing that understanding and perspective is 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 one of the reasons we've gotten such uh, massive support from our community because. People can can acknowledge that. That's the truth. A lot of times we have a stereotypical a stereotypical vision that you uh, people trying to transition back is uh, basically a group of men that are sitting around the room trying to figure out what to do or getting direction, uh, getting assistance and support. Do you see women coming to the Second Chance Center who may have been incarcerated looking for your support and outreach help as well? Oh, absolutely. And and we had to actually learn how to serve our ladies in, in that way. We, we had to learn how to do that. Let me just tell you, the fastest growing population of newly incarcerated people in America are women. Wow. Who, for whatever reason, whether it's a family issue or some other sort of emotional issue, wind up walking away from halfway house settings. You know, uh, historically, women have chosen not to engage with community when they come out. Many have chosen to go back sometimes to the same dysfunctional, toxic relationships that may have led them to being incarcerated. You know, we started going into women's prisons here in Colorado and trying to get the women to understand that there were other options, that you didn't have to do that, that there actually was someone out here waiting to help you and assist you, and you didn't have to compromise yourself in order to access that kind of help. You know, so we, you know, we, we're seeing more and more women over the years. But like I said, unfortunately, that's the largest new incarcerated population in this country. And we quite, haven't quite figured it out, but a lot of it has to do with economics. To be honest, it has to do with, with women being put into compromised positions by men that they're committed to or are in love with or the fathers of their children in many cases. And uh, many, many women are in prison right now for crimes they did not commit they were unhelpful, uncooperative with law enforcement, you know, and pressure was put on them. I mean, these are not just stories we make up. This this is the numbers will show and, and our experience shows that this is the case. This is the truth for many women that find themselves incarcerated or now out here trying to trying to reconnect with their children and you know, it's it, you know, we have men that, that miss being with their with their children as well. I mean, I, I watched children grow up in the visiting room, so I, that impacted me a great deal. But I doubt it's ever the same as a mother being separated from children they gave birth to, you know. So women coming back out and going to community corrections or, you know, being under supervision of any sort, you know, uh, a lot of times it's more difficult for them. Sure, sure. I'm going to draw on your experience, your expertise, your direction to others. Is there a way or is there something, not only to, to say, but some consideration you would give to people to think about before doing something that could lead to them becoming incarcerated, especially in times like these with COVID-19 and the pressures of maybe no job or losing the house and that kind of thing? 
Is there something yeah. you could say to them to, hey, wait a minute, no matter how bad it gets, think of this first? Well, we always tell people to play, play the tape all the way out. You know, play it all the way out. You know, one of the <laughs> yeah. most of our folks that we've dealt with have multiple experiences with the criminal justice system. Okay, so, uh, and, and even a person who's only gone to prison that one time and has come out, they, they've done some things before. It just kind of maybe got away with them. So we ask people to play the tape out in your own life. See how things might end up, you know. What we try to do is is get people to acknowledge the weakness in their thinking. You know, we have a very simple simple formula here that I adopted from uh, the the therapeutic community program I was in uh, before I came home, and that's thoughts plus feelings equals behavior. So a lot of our work circles around this simple formula, and we try to get people to look at how you think and Figure out how you got to think like that, whatever that is. How you got to think it's okay for you to put a gun in somebody's face and take what belongs to them. Mm-hmm. How did you get to the place where you, you, you think you can justify doing harm to people physically because of some slight? You know, these kinds of things. And, you know, also look at the feelings part of that equation. You know, how did you get to feel like that? What's that about? You know, and, and including how you feel about yourself and your place in the world, you know, the world and your place in it. And we feel like if you don't really look at those two parts of the equation, that the behavior is liable to be very reminiscent of, of past behavior. And, and, we, and we work that formula hard. And, we, and, and sometimes if you give people the place, a safe place, where they can be honest with themselves and they can get some honest uh, feedback, somebody can hold a mirror up to them. You know, they'll see the flaws in their own thinking and figure out how that got to be. Mr. Hassan Latif, the founder and executive director of the Second Chance Center in Aurora, is our guest again on this edition. From the special perspective of the experienced, he has provided us insights into what it takes to keep criminal offenders from repeat incarceration. Many thanks to him for his time. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Stay on your game. Mask up and keep your distance when going out. Get vaccinated for full freedom. And many thanks to you for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us.